and welcome to another episode of the Modern Manhood Podcast, a podcast exploring what it is to be a man in the modern world. I'm your host, Harun Vijegas. First things first, I want to mention that Modern Manhood is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. Now, the Alberta Podcast Network is home to many amazing podcasts, 10 to be precise. I'll tell you about one of them. It's called The Broadcast. Now, The Broadcast was started by Trisha Estabrooks and Alex Sabjak, who are journalists, but most importantly, they're friends. They saw a movement of empowered women who either are in politics or want to run for politics. And like they mentioned, things are happening in that area. And Trisha and Alex want to be there to hear all about it. So you can hear the broadcast, which is about women in politics, plus many more amazing local podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Now, just so you know, I'm trying some new things here, as you've heard. Ever since I got a chance to be on the network, I thought it should, yeah, I should step up my game a bit. So the theme song is changing. You're going to hear a small ad in the middle of the show, which you probably heard in the last episode. And also, I'm slowly but surely moving all the stuff from the Ferdinand to the main blog at modernmanhood.org. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't submit stuff for the Ferdinand. I will still post it up at modernmanhood.org. Just, I'm going to put it all on the main page. Let me know how you feel about this, because, you know, we're all about expressing our feelings in this podcast, so tell me if you dig it. Give me a shout on Twitter or on Instagram at modernmanpod, or you can just give me a shout on Facebook. Or you can do it old school. Send me an email. ModernManhoodPodcast at gmail.com Today, we're going to continue our exploration of things, quote-unquote, nerdy. And we're going to be talking about video games. And to help us with this journey, I invited Carolyn Pettit, who is the managing editor at Feminist Frequency. Now, you might have heard of Feminist Frequency because of his executive director, Anita Sarkeesian, who was a prominent player in Gamergate. Now, for the uninitiated, Gamergate was an event in which many gamers, almost all men, started harassing feminist video game critics and video game producers over their views of games being stereotypically toxic male environments. And this started up messed up Twitter wars, tons of flame posts, just a terrible vibe all around. And this was back in 2013. And those effects can still be heard today. Because just before we talked to Carolyn, and this is like a week before we talked to Carolyn, an incident at 2017's VidCon, a conference of YouTubers, intimidated Anita Sarkeesian's panel. And Anita responded by calling them garbage humans. And this just started it all up again. It was ridiculous. Okay, you got all that? That's the background, because we are going to talk about this on the episode. Um, But besides that whole mess, that's a lot of nonsense. I was actually more interested in how an almost male-dominated platform as video games has this effects on masculinity. You know, as a boy, that's their social media. That's the stuff that they go to almost every day. How we see ourselves in this monster of a media and how we can work to show a more wholesome narrative, that's, that's important for me. And Carolyn not only has experience and critique of these platforms, she worked as an editor at GameSpot.com and writing many, many articles of video games, she is herself a transgendered woman. So she has some experience in both sides. And we get a chance to talk about all of this. So I was super excited and very delighted to speak with Carolyn Pettit all the way from California. 
Feminist frequency deals a lot with the way women are portrayed in video games. Um, so this is a very general question. Obviously, mm-hmm. how do you think the portrayal of uh, women in video games affect the way people, you know, behave towards women? It really wasn't something I gave much thought personally until I became a a visible trans woman in gaming media. You know, I started working for um, a site called GameSpot, um, a major you know gaming site about. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess I, I started working for them about six years ago now, and I was an editor on the staff there for about four years. And, you know, immediately when I, um, when I became a presence on this site as a trans woman, um, there was a certain segment of the readership of GameSpot that, um, really like objected to my existence in that space as a trans woman. Um, and, and, you know, some of the comments that I would get um, would be, were, were things along the lines of, um, that, that, you know, uh, if there are going to be women in gaming media, that they should be like, that they are, ex- should be like attractive to us, the like core readers, the straight male readers, because we're the ones who the, who this culture and who these sites and who games are designed for and therefore like to the to th- to this particular subset of gamers and of GameSpot's readers mm-hmm. um you know I was transgressing um into a space where I didn't belong you know as a trans woman just by by existing there and so that really nudged me to start thinking about well, where does this attitude of entitlement to this space and this culture and 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 beyond that to how women what women exist in this space for that women exist in this space not to be like full human beings with their own like who are valued for their perspectives and their opinions and their insights into gaming but who literally to some of these people to some of these you know um, primarily young men exist to to be attractive to them and desirable to them and if they fail in that then they are worthless and don't belong in that space you know where does this attitude come from and it was impossible for me to not start seeing the connections then between how women are presented in games a, a vast number of games certainly not every game but a vast number of games um and the attitude that these people carried over into other spaces like this website that was about gaming media, but where the women were not characters in some video game. I'm not a character in a video game. I'm <laughs> yeah. a real flesh and flesh and blood human being. You know, it, it's, it's not like we're very careful. I think at feminist frequency to not say, you know, you play one game in which women are sexualized and boom, you have like a, an objective, objectified, right. I, attitude toward women we're talking about impacts on the on the larger culture Correct. right that, yeah. that these that these things these values seep into the larger into the larger culture for me there's no question because my personal experience reflects it so deeply yeah and it's been borne out time and time again that pre- presenting women in games so often as like very sexualized figures as figures that exist to be like one um, or, you know, to, to be um, rescued or to be done with as one will definitely impacted the larger attitude about women 
that exist within gaming culture. And like, and like you said, you have a very personal experience with this. And and just for our for our listeners to kind of understand what kind of experience this is very this was a very public experience for you. You know, people wanted you fired for writing this video review about mm-hmm. about Grand Theft Auto, and you like it was really weird because. You gave it a pretty favorable review, and you said, you know, there's these things that were that weren't cool, but there was still a favorable review. Right. Yet that's what people latched yeah. onto, which is fascinating, but also yeah. like disgusting exactly. to me. Exactly. <laughs> like, right? If my one, you know, thing that I sort of nicked the game for was, oh, I didn't think the driving physics felt great or something. Like, that's fine. You can totally say something like that about a Grand Theft Auto game. That because that kind of falls under the idea of like, oh, objectivity. Like we, those are the kinds of things that we, in our product evaluation of games, we should be, you know, do the guns feel good? Do the cars, like, do, is the driving fun? Yeah. But, you know, if you start talking about like, oh, how are women portrayed and represented as human beings, you know, that then you're like totally crossing a line. Like that's just, that has no place whatsoever in gaming criticism. You yeah. don't, you don't even talk about that because it's for men. Therefore, like it should be able to be as sexist as, as it wants to be or yeah. something, I guess is, is the logic there, you know, as if it can't still do harm or as if it really does a, a disservice to games as a as a medium and as an art form to have that kind of response to discussions of it because cinema literature i mean if we're going to to really take games seriously then we need to have these we need to treat it as if it matters right and we need to have discussions about it that go beyond just the kind of are the graphics good you know yeah. is the soundtrack good kind of level of critique you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i agree with you completely when you say that if you you know play one game that has you know these kind of problems and that's not going to make you a terrible person but definitely the society and what the culture is around you will yeah will, this just kind of affects the culture and society around you and, and you know i think you speak a lot to the difference between systemic problems and, and personal problems um, yeah i when people criticize the or people attack you or, or criticize you, um, they, do they do it because they feel, uh, some sort of shame or some sort oh. of like, uh, problem within themselves? Like you said, is it because they, they feel that they're personally being attacked or that they still have critiques saying like, no, the system is the problem still or like, I don't see any problems with the system? Knee jerk reaction to, you know, such criticism that does result in the kind of personal attacks that I get. Um, you know, I think there is an element to it of a kind of personal, oftentimes it comes from a place of, you know, I'm telling you this thing that you like has this problem and your attachment to this game is so deep in some level that me criticizing this aspect of it feels like a personal attack on you because right. you like this thing so much, right? That's very often where this bonce comes from. And I think that there's a I think that there's a real problem in our how we feel about a lot of entertainment media. And we are encouraged by um hype cycles around video games and around like, you know, even say comic book movies and things like that where these things, these products, these entertainment products really are built up 
as so significant and so meaningful for so long. And really for a lot of people, like, you know, then that becomes like looking forward to, oh, that next Call of Duty game or that next like superhero movie or whatever it is. I mean, it becomes like a significant part of like of the meaning in their lives, really. And that's by design. I mean, that's that's how these the hype cycles and everything are designed to work. And therefore, that's why you get these situations where, you know, sometimes reviews of a of like a comic book movie or a, a video game will come out before the game is released. So nobody's even had a chance to see it or to play it. And yet, even though the like a, a, a contingent of the fans haven't, you know, they have none of them have played it or seen it yet. When the when a review has negative things to say, they react with such vitriol yeah. toward the the voice of that criticism because you know it it, it does feel like a personal attack because yeah. they've been looking forward to this thing for so long and they've already built it up in their hearts and minds as this kind of deeply significant, deeply meaningful um, thing that, that, you know, will fulfill some, some need or some yearning in them. And therefore when it's, yeah, when it's right. flawed, they lash out at the person telling them that it's flawed. And, and I see it with comic book movies. Like you said, I, I see it with any type of, you know, traditional, like, a uh, specific area where where a man or a boy just really latched onto when they were kids, and any type of critique of that, you know, I saw that with Ghostbusters, for instance, or you see that right, with, like, right, like things like like even the Wonder Woman thing was there's still some critique in that, and it was like, oh, this is insane, like I can't, I I, I I'm still wrapping my head around why that sort of uh, gatekeeping culture uh, still around in 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 the quote-unquote nerd culture. It's not something I fully understand either yeah. uh, at all. I'm not an expert in, in those kinds of things. And, um, but I, I do, I do think that, you know, like when I do look back at video games in particular, and I see how for, you know, so long, they, they've in so many ways been designed, been marketed for straight young men, primarily overwhelmingly, yeah. Um, and even, you know, and even the sites that rose up to cover them for a long time, I think, um, including, you know, GameSpot, IGN and, and, you know, and that, that culture, that landscape is changing. But for a long time, there was unquestioningly even there in those spaces, this assumption of who games were for, who their audience was. So they contributed to it as well. I can see how over time that, that the impact of that did lead to, you know, people, feeling like, okay, you know, like, oh, men, you know, who maybe didn't feel like they met the the unattainable standards of masculinity as held up in in other parts of our culture, um, like in sports, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, felt like, okay, here at least is a space where that is mine, where I can be, I can live out the fantasy, I can live out the dream, and I can, and I can, kind of own this cultural space to some degree. I think that, you know, that that was part of what was sold to many gamers for a long time was right. that, you right. know, that, that sense of here, like, oh, okay, you know, the world may not giving you the, you know, the, the fantasy, the thing that you, you know, you as men, it's in some way are told you're kind of entitled to the good job, the car, the, you know, the wife, 
whatever all or whatever the fantasy is. But here's an area where, you know, your fantasies can be fulfilled and nobody's going to like question you or challenge you or make you reflect on what that really means or how that affects your view of yourself with regard to women and with regard to, you know, other other people on this planet, you know, um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's that has a lot to do with it. For sure. Yeah, no, that I, I completely agree with you. And um, yeah, and it I've said, like I said, I'm still rapid trying to wrap my head around it, too. Um, I, I recently you recently released a review for uh, Witcher 3 on Feminist Frequency and among other games. And I, and I don't know if if this is true or not. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I found if I found it to be for you. um conflicting like you like yeah. you like these you like this game you don't like this part of it but you really like this part of it is that yeah is that a common theme for you Con- confliction oh absolutely absolutely i mean overall i really liked the witcher 3 mm-hmm. um in spite that i don't think the game likes women much you yeah. know <laughs> to, put it, to put it mildly and um and you know there was this thing there was a, actually a, a comment on facebook you know somebody said and I kind of understood where they're coming from. But, you know, they said, well, you're being way too soft on the criticism here. You know, this is a game that uh, that sensationalizes violence. And this was I, I mean, I, I believe it was a man or somebody, you know, appearing as male on mm-hmm. Facebook who was saying, you know, this game sensationalizes violence against women with all these. There's these crimes and these bodies where women's like naked, sexualized bodies are like on display and and everything like to to say anything praising the game a game that does these things is is kind of to tacitly like approve of them and to say that 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 those aspects are okay and uh, i mean I, I mean i i specifically mention and criticize those things about the game in my comments about it like and i do think that they are a very serious issue at the same time like if i threw out every piece if i just completely threw out every piece of media that is misogynistic in some way that is you know <laughs> that would leave me with so little media yeah. to engage <laughs> totally. with like like i do not have the luxury as a woman as a trans yeah. person you know in this culture in in our patriarchal misogynist culture i do not have the luxury of only engaging with media that is like that matches my values mm-hmm. right as a feminist like yeah. that i mean i have to also be well i i have to be able to hold that internal contradiction with media of okay this media does things that i strongly object to but you know i can also appreciate these very human aspects of it these things about it that i think are really um praiseworthy and really you know really good um, I, I have to be able to do that. And, and, and really, that's not something I, you know, I don't think men have to make those kinds of choices because there's no shortage of me- the media doesn't, by and large, hate it. It doesn't hate men. Our culture doesn't hate men the way that it hates women. And yeah. so they're, they, it's difficult sometimes for men to understand, you know, it doesn't mean we think it's OK at all. In fact, our whole feminist frequencies, whole reason for existing, our yeah. whole all of our work is about like media representations Correct, and the importance yeah. of them and fighting for better media representations. And yet we still have to, you know, this is the world that we live in right now. We have to be able to, um, you know, find some value in things, you know, that are far, 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 far from perfect. Yeah. Um, 
So, so yeah, I mean, um, that's a, that is absolutely a, a regular theme for me is that kind of carrying that conflict with me in my experiences with media. I really appreciate the, the, you know, what you said about, um, you know, if we, if I just ignore all types of media that was misogynistic or, um, Incidentally violent or non-feminist is like, I won't, I won't have a whole lot. <laughs> I feel the same way with, you know, listening to things like rap music or list or like watching yeah. sports. I'm like, I love rap music, but man, it's a problematic. Um, yeah, I love watching sports, but man, is it problematic? So it's like, yeah, I, I feel the same way I feel when, when people write about video games. It's like, I love this thing, but damn it, if there's something <laughs> wrong with it. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Hey, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a survey we ran from the Alberta Bend Network. And it showed the vast majority of men have financial stability as a barrier for them to lead a healthy life. And to have that some days, you have to do a little bit of investing. ATB Financial has an idea as to why people are not investing as much as they used to. I think it has to do with trust. Trusting your branch, trusting the economy, trusting that the money that you have is being used to help you rather than them. They hear you because they, in their words, promise to listen and resolve to change and be open about our behaviors. So I encourage you to check out ATV Financial and let them know what you like and don't like about investing and to make sure no one is messing around with your money. You can find out more information and let yourself be heard at atv.com slash listen. That's atv.com slash listen. So do you think that um, – because in this podcast and in the work that I do, um, I talk a lot about fighting stereotypical portrayals of males. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that video games as a media form help reinforce those stereotypical gender norms, and specifically with males? Yes, I do. I mean, I do think that you have, you know, so many male protagonists, right, who are this – the kind of v- – grizzled, violent, you know, figure. It's still fairly rare to really see, you know, deviations from that in terms of like, you know, I think highly marketed like AAA video games. It's like, okay, it's another Geralt or Joel or yeah. Booker or, or, uh, or Solid Snake, you know, yeah. kind of figure. Okay, you know, we get it. Video game. He's a video game protagonist. <laughs> like, really, I think it's really, important to see, you know, representations of masculinity that, you know, really break free from that. And obviously, of course, there's any number, there are any number of exceptions to it, too. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, there's like, but there's characters like Mario or whatever. People mm-hmm. always say, well, what about, you know, but I mean, but I, there's still like, in a certain type of game and the kind of the game that's, you know, marketed more towards like, maybe teenagers and adults as opposed to like younger kids you know you do have just this very obvious pattern um and very i think it's a very limiting you know ultimately a very limiting representation of masculinity that you can come away with um and i think it, it's very important that we start seeing images of masculinity that break out from that very kind of narrow um, spectrum that we keep seeing represented over and over and over again. Yeah, for sure. And you, you said you mentioned there's, are there some games in which masculinity is seen as, as, as multiple or varied than this like stoic 
Clint, e- um, Clint Eastwood type, like he's called it. Oh my god, I'm I'm blanking on his name right now. But you know, the protagonist of um, you know, Watch Dogs Two mm. um, was a definitely a, a, a more like vibrant, a more kind of expressive, a much more like expressive figure in some way than a lot of um, you know male characters. And you know, that's like one example that pops into my head right now. You yeah. know, that doesn't exactly. <laughs> I mean, so I, I I still feel like it's for the most part what we get are are minor variations on a theme as opposed to like. Oh, this male, this is like a really different kind of male hero. You know yeah. what I mean? There's so much room to have like, you know, really different kinds of male characters, you know, in, in our video games, like mm-hmm. as the playable characters that we occupy those worlds as and who we play as. Right, right. Do you think that um, having these kind of views of different male characters, even having them in a sense that they are, you know, not inheritively violent or... Mm-hmm. are not you know misogynistic or that kind of stuff does that help uh the work that you do at feminist frequency into creating mm. a better um space for uh, for women in video games oh there's no question there's no question i mean the, when we talk about representations of women we're also talking about we're talking about gender dynamics we're talking about how are women presented and represented not just for women but for what messages are being sent about women, you know, to men and what messages you can't separate really um, representations of masculinity and maleness from representations of, of women, in my opinion, you know, because and so I think part of why we we don't see so many other types of male figures as protagonists in games is because having different types of protagonists would challenge designers to come up to fundamentally change their games in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like character has to in some way make sense with the kind of gameplay and the world that they're designing, I guess. So, oh, you're designing a violent game. You're designing a shooter. Well, you need a character who seems like they want to go around, you know, or, or where it doesn't seem weird that they're going around shooting people, right. you know? And so that, that suggests a particular kind of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, well, women in our game are, designed to appeal you know are like consciously designed to appeal to straight young men as a, as kind of objects and um you know so we want a figure who exudes a kind of masculinity where he's going to revel in that and that he's going to he's not going to think critically about that or he you know he, he where he thinks that that's what women are for too right right so yeah if once you start designing different types of characters it i think forces you to to ask different questions about the game that you're creating and the what roles that women play in that game as well you cannot untangle these things you can't untangle representations of women the whole it's it's a big knot of gender right it's all <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all tangled up with each other so yes improvements in one area will inevitably um i think make the whole landscape better including you know with regard to our particular concern um, of, you know, representations of, of women and the messages being sent there as well. Thank you for saying that, because I, I, I do agree that those things are two, two sides of the same coin almost. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to um, just step back and just talk a little bit more about yourself. You're a, tr- you're a trans woman. Can I ask um, what kind of struggles that you, you've faced being a video game critiquer or even just someone out in the public as a as a trans woman. I, I kind of touched on this earlier, like when I, I'd actually, you know, just 
started living full time as Carolyn when I started at GameSpot. So there wasn't like um, it wasn't like the audience knew me and then had to contend with my transition. I was a visibly trans woman in front of them from the, from the start. So as I said, like there were it was it's kind of interesting, actually, like um, I got those kinds of reactions that I mentioned earlier, that the attitude that, well, you know, women exist in this space to fulfill, you know, X purpose to, to be like attractive and desirable to us. And there were some people who actually said things like GameSpot is betraying its core audience, its core readers by hiring me because it showed such a flagrant disregard for their desires. Right. Like they like obviously, <laughs> obviously, like sexual desirability to to straight males should be like the number one factor in any hiring decision oh if gosh. you're going to hire a woman for a site like it just that's like ridiculous. really and it's like that's ridiculous not not for what it says about me but for what it says about yeah about like how women are valued in these spaces and totally. you know like it's like you know you have a problem at that point and so I mean, I was already, I already had, I'd say somewhat of like a feminist, you know, worldview, mm -hmm. but certainly like encountering it like head on in this way really made me start thinking much more critically about media representations and about the impact that they have. And so my reviews of games were more concerned with those things than they otherwise would have been because I, because I saw firsthand that how important it was, right? right. That that any time I in a review I made even the briefest mention of issues of representation, there would be a slew, like a ton of comments on the review saying that basically condemning me for my, you know, quote unquote feminist agenda, or, you know, in in one way or another saying that those kinds of criticisms were completely like off base and had no place in video games. And I always wanted to reply to them and say say something like it was you who made me this way you're the ones who like you're the ones who gave me my big feminist awakening yeah. it's only because you acted this way in the first place that i knew that this shit actually does matter yeah totally. the way that it does it's super interesting that you say about like having a hyper sexualized or a sexualized female in in criticism to serve them because even then when that happens um, like I'm thinking of, of somebody like like Jade Raymond, who uh, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. an intelligent game developer, uh, developed this, um, Assassin's Creed. You know, considered good looking in the public sphere, but then yes, she still yes, got yes. A, she still got attacked, and she still got oh attacked in in a in a terrible way. So thing with women where you know damned either way if you fit the you know conventionally attractive standard then that is used weaponized against you you're you you know all there's all this sexualized kind of hate hate and art and like oh, gross you know stuff that's thrown at you and if you don't then that's used against you you're yeah. you know you're like dehumanized you're you're depicted or referred you know you're essentially worthless because you don't meet that standard but like either way it's not a good yeah, it's it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, it's, yeah, I would I would imagine situations online where me with other women, where we're all being harassed. You know, I'm being harassed to the viewers or readers. I'm like, I don't meet their idea. You know, of like a conventionally attractive woman, and and while another woman who's with me is being harassed because she does. So you know, it's it's awful. Yeah, yeah. it's really awful. Yeah. <laughs> 
And speaking of harassment, um, we were recording on the wake of, of VidCon and what happened there. Um, yes. And for listeners who don't know, like, I've, it's funny. I talked to this like, oh, do you know what happened at VidCon? They're like, I, mm-hmm. some people are like, I have no idea what the heck that is. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, um, just to, for listeners, uh, so Anita Sarkazian, uh, got in a, was in a panel and the first three rows were, were basically covered by a lot of her critics and a lot of people who, like, overly harassed her online or in the media obviously this was disturbing for her and she you know said some words towards these people and all of a sudden uh this became this weird thing where i'm like man i don't know the people in the front were i don't even want to say their names so you don't have to look them up but the people in the front uh were basically saying like oh we we didn't do anything mm-hmm. we were just there to to visit and all of a sudden we got this harassment from her which was Completely bogus, but yeah. I, yeah. do you, do you think that this harassment is lowering or is it still at a high as it was in during like Gamergate? I, I don't think that the sentiments and the seething rage that fueled Gamergate, they haven't been like cured. They haven't been solved. They haven't gone away. The fever pitch, the, the, the intensity that was occurring during the the peak of Gamergate has, of course, toned down over time to some degree, although hardly gone gone away. It has not, like, gone away. And yet, you know, I think that what an incident like VidCon illustrates is not that we were under any illusions otherwise, but, okay, this cultural battle is still raging on, and it can flare up again at at any time and we still have a long 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 way to go yeah, we still sure. have a long way to go for you as a as a trans woman in general and not outside of even your your video game life <laughs> do you feel that there is some still sort of struggles that you come across um especially from you you transition from from a man to from a man to a woman is that correct well i would i would say i, I mean i was assigned male at birth yes. and so i so I presented and I presented as male for much of, you know, my life. But um, I knew from a very young age that I was trans and that I, I didn't truly identify as um, as male. You yeah. know, I transitioned. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. No, I, I want to make that make that uh, clear. Can I ask how, how young sure. were you when you when this when you had this um, realization? Like nine or ten when it really became crystal clear to me who I was and what, you know, I mean, there were a lot of like questions that I had up to that point and things that I just didn't things that just weren't making sense to me about things have changed so much. I mean, with regard to like uh, awareness of trans people Mm -hmm. and everything in the past, you know, I mean, even in the past five years, but certainly, you know, in the time that I was growing up, like there was no very little like public awareness or discussion of it. And so I was growing, I didn't really have access to like what being trans was. So I, you know, I, I just had this feeling inside of me that I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have any kind of model for mm-hmm. it of like, and I didn't, I certainly didn't feel like I could express it to anyone because it just seemed, you know, I knew it would have been so shunned and so frowned upon and so misunderstood and everything so anyway at a very young age i kind of i i was clear on who i was were you were you picked on were you bullied um because of the way that you represented you know even though i i 
I, I didn't transition until much later in life. I, I certainly didn't fit anyone's idea of what, of what a, uh, a boy or a young man should be. Right. And therefore, and so therefore I was very, I was definitely, um, I got, I was definitely bullied and mocked and ostracized, um, often as a result of, of that. And as, as a young boy at that time, I guess, um, mm-hmm. Do, were you a video game player? Or was this something that you still yeah. kind of? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, video games for me were, you know, were very much like kind of lifeline and escape, you know, and a chance. I mean, for me too, they were that kind of fantasy life uh, where I could feel somewhat successful or I could feel heroic or I could, I could certainly escape from all the forces in the real world that that made me feel so misunderstood and so afraid. And so my relationship with video games was more intense because I had so much in the real world that I was yearning to flee from. What were some of your favorite video games? Oh man. I mean, um, wow. Uh, I, (laughs) um, the original Super Mario Brothers was so huge for me. I was, I was, I can still remember the first time I saw that game because I already had this kind of relationship with Mario from like Donkey Kong and, you know, the original Mario Brothers. And then so he's this character who I've known in these like singles, like these single screen games where, you know, you, you're just like in this one environment that takes up the screen and that's it. And I remember the very first time I saw Super Mario Brothers and like, the screen starts scrolling to the right and it's mm-hmm. like this whole world that's like a, a, ahead of you and a, and open to you. There was really something like transcendent about it. It was one of those moments of like, oh my God, games, games have advanced like in such a way like that, you know, we, we really are um, at a new frontier of video games. Gosh, you know, uh, missed, uh, sometime oh, later, yeah. which was, yeah, I mean, was, a game that, again, I, I think it was precisely the fact that it was such an escape. Like, that game conjured such a richly detailed kind of alternate reality where everything in the environment looked like something you could reach out and hold and touch and everything, that it was just so powerful for me, like, as as an escape from my real life. The, the Monkey Island games were, you know, the Guybrush Threepwood. There's an example of, like, a male yeah. hero who maybe does, doesn't fit so much totally. the traditional. Uh, he's great. Um, and those games, you know, were just so hilarious and so so charming. So I was a big fan of those. And, uh, cool. and yeah. Cool. That's really cool. I, and it, I always like hearing these kind of stories, especially when you're younger. Um, and also, yeah. like, I really like this... this uh, this quote you had, and this was after um, the stories of what of you know people trying to get you fired out of GameSpot, um, uh-huh. and you had and I read this article, and you had this this specific quote: "Is denying my true self was like carrying a stone in my soul everywhere. There was a hole inside me, like the one you feel when you really miss somebody. But the person I missed was me. To help ease the pain, I lost myself in books, in music, in movies, and in games. I don't need games to teach me that lesson anymore." I've applied it enough in real-world situations that have now the confidence of who I am to no longer be shaken by the sometimes hateful words of others. And I thought this was really amazing just for the fact that um, it, it sounds to me from this quote that you're not searching for media to help you find an identity for you. I think you're finding an identity um, from the things that you loved and the things mm-hmm. that really give you meaning. Is that Am I reading that correctly? 
So, yeah, I mean, my relationship to media, you know, has changed for the better. I mean, I'm I'm in a place now where I'm a more, more secure in who I am. I'm a complete person in and of myself. And so I'm able now to engage with media from that place. Certainly the the meaning and the value that I see in media hasn't diminished at all. And I think that I think and I hope that my writing bears that out. Art matters. I mean, art really matters. Media really matters. It it. It really does impact our lives. It impacts the culture that we live in. It impacts how we think about ourselves as women or men or people of any gender, how we think about each other and view each other. And so that's which is why I'm always so concerned. You know, if you read a lot of my work, you'll notice that connection and compassion are (laughs) and communication are, are kind of running themes because I am definitely like I'm particularly interested to some degree in those things and Mm -hmm. do like to see like what I think are good representations of people helping each other, caring for each other, seeing the intrinsic value in each other. I think that models for those kinds of connections and relationships are, are really are important. One last question for you, Carolyn. Um, And this is a question I, I, I asked this question to, to my male guest, um, just as a last kind of bookend to the interview, but I want to ask you a little bit differently. How can men support healthy gender views? Basically, how can men be better allies uh, towards yeah. women and specifically around um, these type of things that you talk about in Feminist Frequency or in, in, in regards to your work? You know, the work of really being a male ally, it's not easy, but it is essential, you know, and, and I think what it really is being the guy, the man who... If you, if you're in a situation with a bunch of other men and someone is, you know, making a sexist joke or talking about women in, in some kind of dehumanizing way, it's being the man who says something, who says like that's not who calls other men out on their sexism. And it's not about changing the a- attitudes or ideas of the, of the men who do actively perpetuate sexism. What it is about is is creating a culture in which those ideas aren't just uh, treated as like normal and accepted and funny or or whatever. But, you know, where where a man, you know, maybe will think twice the next time he's around other men about saying something like that because he's no longer so sure that he has the safety of that to perpetuate sexism that he has felt comes with being just around men mm-hmm. um, that it's those little things to kind of just challenge the culture, misogyny and sexism are, are and, and, and this is online as well. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, say in the comments on, on websites, if you see so many other people making sexist comments about uh, a woman, for instance, you know, be the person in that comment section who calls out other men and tells them that what they're doing is, is, is not cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, the problem is, you know, yes, you will probably be shouted down. Yes. You will probably be like outnumbered, but slowly over time, if one man does it, maybe another man will then back up that person. And maybe very gradually we can encourage a cultural shift in which these kinds of attitudes are no longer just permitted or just accepted or just shrugged off as like, well, that's just the way it is in uh, in physical spaces or online spaces. As more men take up the the difficult but necessary work of fighting sexism, I, a great piece of advice, especially around 
around the internet because you're absolutely right it is it is hard to to be that outspoken person sometimes mm-hmm. and it's, it definitely is yeah <laughs> i'm sure as you know um but at the same time it's equally as important and to have that strength to actually do that is uh is courageous and you, you know you should be you should be proud of yourselves to do that so carolyn where can we find your work so uh, you can find my writing on uh, feministfrequency.com. Um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at, uh, you know, if you'd like, at um, Carolyn Michelle, um, uh, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, where, you know, I do, of course, will post links to any mm. of my work. Um, Thank you so much again. I really appreciate you doing this. This is this is so this is so cool. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so what did we learn today? Well, we learned that Carolyn is conflicted in writing these reviews for these games because as much as she loves video games, the lack of representation drives her bonkers. We also learned that it was the haters that made her see her feminist views. They, they did it to themselves. And last but not least, we learned that positive, unique, compassionate representation of masculinity in video games will also help men and women towards a healthier pathway of identity. It's two sides of the same coin. We're fighting the same battle here. So that's our short for today. Please check out the website if you want more episodes of the Modern Manhood podcast. You can check that out at modernmanhood.org. You can also check out Carolyn at her Twitter at Carolyn Michelle. You can also check out Feminist Frequency at feministfrequency.com. You can check out all the stuff that Carolyn and all the team there have written if you want to hit me up on Twitter, you totally can. Please do so. It's at Modern Man Pod. You can also do that on Instagram. You can also check me out on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes or anywhere that's sending out some reviews, please hit me a review. Um, give me a five star. Show me a comment. Yeah, that's all I have for you guys. Please know that Modern Manhood is a part of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can also check out all the Alberta Podcast Network podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And we'll see you next week with another episode of the Modern Manhood Podcast.